another wonderful, special, extracurricular, extra spectacular episode of Normandy FM. Ken, I am living. I am alive. I am filled with the glory of Dragon Age 2. Big move. I'm, I, I'm, never, I'm never not happy. <laughs> I'm never... Not that I was ever unhappy to podcast, but let's just say I, I, I am more eager than I have been... In previous <laughs> instances of recording Fair. to discuss the subject matter at hand. Uh, Fair. Because, I mean, today on, on this wonderful episode of Normandy FM, a Mass Effect slash Dragon Age slash Bioware podcast, uh, co-hosted by myself, Eric Van Ellen, and Kenneth Shepard here, we are recruiting one of my favorite Dragon Age characters. Ooh. And I'm talking, of course, about Ant. I'm just kidding. It's Meryl. It's Meryl. Potentially, these two characters, uh, we are recruiting Anders and Meryl today in Dragon Age 2, I think represent this incredible contrast because Meryl, I have constantly seen her referred to as a fan favorite. Uh, Mm -hmm. I always see, like, people are very happy about her character when she shows up when she gets referenced i think she almost maybe more than morrigan is is one of the Mm. more fondly remembered like mage characters in these games uh i think she's definitely one of the less divisive i think like yes especially when the mage characters in these games tend to be uh controversial i think she is like something that's like she's a character who's very easily likable and uh Although I think her story is fairly controversial, and we'll get to the specifics of that later. I think her story is is really interesting because of the conflict. And and granted, mm-hmm. coming to this now, I was starting to remember how little I remembered of her story, uh, to the point where I'm now very excited to get to re-experience all this mm-hmm. again. Because, uh, again, this is the first time I've replayed Dragon Age 2 since I would have played it back when it first came out. And I know that doesn't sound like a really long time, but when you play video games for a living, and also you played Dragon Age 2 during your college years, uh, in which you know many other substances were being taken in at the time, and you, you can only only mm. so much is going to stick. I had to pass some courses, so. Um, I, I I'm really fascinated to almost like re-experience some of that story mm-hmm. and I, I think the same goes for Anders because if Meryl is the character who is kind of universally beloved in a way that many characters uh, are not in this series uh, I think Anders is maybe the most divisive if not un- not universally he has his fans but I think when when you talk about Dragon Age 2 Anders as a character tends to come up as one of the, say, friction points in this a game. A sore spot. Yes. Um, there, are, there are weird issues with him as a character that... I mean, granted, we're not talking holistically about this character yet. We'll be doing that much later in the season uh, when we get to the final of these sort of character installments that we're doing. But I'll just say that my experience coming into this game i remember him being not a character i enjoyed talking to i remember him being a key point of my frustration with this game because i think at some point 
I had somehow locked into some sort of romance with this character. And so Mm. it would continually propose the romance to me. And I would get frustrated with that because this game, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, but the romance system is incredibly complex, uh, much more so than I would say any other Bioware game, because it is possible to romance multiple people. It is possible to, uh, romance multiple characters in a single playthrough like romance character break up with them and then romance another character uh whereas most you know, as we talk about most bioware games the romance tends to be an end game points whereas mm-hmm. in this game it's much more of an ongoing fluid thing uh and there there are certain points where things lock in and you need to have as i've seen it referred to uh a queue <laughs> like basically there are orders of priority in what romance will take precedence. And I remember being frustrated thinking that Anders was going to override Meryl, who was one of the lower priority romances from what I remember. I think I think Meryl is fairly low priority. So is Sebastian. I know Sebastian, you have to like basically have never tried to romance anybody but Sebastian. Mm. <laughs> um But my other point of friction with Anders was that he seemed to be used as a character that he his character was put to the side in order to create an instigator in order to create the person that was going to move the events forward of this game and i'm interested to see how my thoughts have changed on that over time because uh obviously i now have the benefit of being older and maybe having a greater appreciation for storytelling than Mm -hmm. i did when i first played this game (laughs) but also um Anders as a character is fascinating to me. The mm-hmm. idea of this character, uh, and I guess that's a good jumping off point for us to to start talking about the recruitment mission. But when we first meet Anders, we've already met him. You know, we we had him in the party in Awakening, but right away after we follow up on these rumors of a Gray Warden healing people uh, down in the docks in a clinic. Uh, or no, it's a low town clinic, isn't it? It's not the docks. I, I get I get yeah. low town, the docks confused. They're near each other. Um, yeah, uh, it's a low town clinic, and uh, there's a gray warden there healing them. Obviously, we want to make an expedition into the dark roads with Varric and Bartrand, so we want a gray warden. That makes sense, and the gray warden might have maps that will help us find an entrance to the deep roads. Uh, you can already kind of tell that this is a very different Anders than the one that we met. He's not as jokey. He's not as comical, like the way he was sort of playing off of Ogren's mm-hmm. one-liners with his own one-liners and kind of doing the, oh, va-va-voom, like, hey, how you doing? Like, <laughs> mm. um, He's a much more serious, I don't, I don't know if I want to say mature, but he is like, he just seems different, like something has happened that has changed his personality, which is an interesting twist, I think, to open with for Awakening players. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What are your kind of thoughts on on Anders as as we get into this mission? It's a uh, because it, like, we we even talked about this, like you played two first, and then you played Awakening for this. Mm-hmm. I always thought, like, you know, over the years when I was up this game's ass online, was, like, everyone, you know, there were a lot of people that were very, like, okay, there are a series of reasons that Anders is a divisive character in this game. I think 
among the highest is that he has this drastic change. Like, he is basically an unrecognizable character by the time that we meet him in Dragon Age 2. Um, and we'll get to, like, the specifics of why in a little bit, but I... I buy it, I guess? Like, that's my... my the, without spoiling it when we get to... Because we're going to get to it in a minute, but... I buy it. I, I, I am... I enjoy seeing this character who has gone from this person that doesn't really care about much of anything go from this extremist who is maybe indicative of like a almost I don't know if Twilight-esque is like a good mm-hmm. way of describing it but like a very like dramatic but also like romantic sort of way of like, like viewing the world and your relationship to other people because like I think I even remember David Gator even like making the Twilight comparison like you know, everyone's got their opinion on Twilight, but, like, also, but like when it comes to, like, certain things, when it comes to, like, the romance and the way that, like, people are very passionate about specific, other like, other people and other things, it is something that that series says well. And that was, that's, that's his quote. Like, I'm not in the mood to get into a Twilight debate tonight, but I, I think Andrews is very interesting because, like, he at least signifies a way that Dragon Age 2, like, sort of, like, the, the priorities of, like, the drama of it has changed. Mm. I I can see that. I can get that. And on the note of Twilight, I'm not going to start it because my my issue with Twilight begins and ends with the part where there's a baby that then grows up immediately and dates the spurned ex-boyfriend. <laughs> that's that's the start and end of it with me. <laughs> None of that in Dragon Age. Thank Yet. God. Yes. <laughs> uh and and I can I can see what you mean by that because I'll tell you this. Uh, so once upon a blue moon, I worked at a bookstore, and especially growing up, and especially as a straight dude, you hear romances get like romance novels get kind of derided mm-hmm. and like laughed at and uh, mocked. And yes, there are there are a lot of sappy romance novels out there like if people think that twilight is scraping the barrel you don't even know where the barrel begins there is <laughs> there are depths to this that you have not experienced yet but i um i definitely do see that in terms of the romance because i think again I, we're, we're gonna end up talking a lot about romance i think in in this section for me because my character right now it's looking like i'm going to romance meryl mm. uh though well, yeah, some decisions and... i've made so far with isabella <laughs> might also affect oh. some things that happen in the future well i'm <laughs> well i'm also like i have in my like story that i've written of dragon age 2 um i got some like a love triangle thing going on so we're gonna talk about mm. some things as well for me too even if it doesn't necessarily involve the person i ultimately end up with but um, i think i think that's fascinating that dragon age 2 like lets you do that like Mm -hmm. it lets you toy around with that kind of stuff whereas in mass effect it was just like oh you get to flirt with both of them and then at the end they'll confront you and they'll say which which one are you going to romance and then that's it and i it's it's funny when you think that like even a game like witcher 3 which i don't think you would ever go out of your way to say is like heavily involved in the relationship stuff because it's not but even that game ends up handling romance a little bit better than mm. some of Bioware's games. Or like even look at Persona Five. Like oh, yeah. if you try if you try to play around and 
like romance every character it ends up blowing up in your face which is hilarious i love it Mm. it's great um but here in dragon age 2 you can do that or you can not do that and it's going to have different effects it's going to go in different directions and play in and out of each other like it's uh this game is ahead of its time man (laughs) real good uh so uh we we did skip over some slight stuff in our setup um we'll talk a little bit more in depth about this because we kind of lightly touched on it at the end of last episode too but this is a year later uh Mm -hmm. from our initial arrival in uh in kirkwall so for us it's been i was trying to do the math on it it's been about a year and like let's say x number of months Mm. between uh when when the hawks would have flee lothering so when the initial uh blight began in ferelden and now so i was trying to do the math on okay if the blight happened in ferelden and then awakening happened what was the timeline for that and how long has anders how long between the end of awakening and the start of dragon mm. age 2 basically and I think I'd probably I'd probably say about a year. That seems about right because the blight can't have lasted terribly long um, mm-hmm. because things had, let's say, an urgency to them. Right. Uh, we didn't get much of a sense of passage of time in that game, but we do have some idea. And then obviously Awakening has to happen after all of that. Uh, but other than that, you know, there has been time that's passed for anders so he's a little bit different uh he but he still mentions some stuff he mentions sir pounce a lot he he mm. asks about uh he asks about why we're here if the wardens were sent uh to find him um but anders is here healing people in the clinic which also very out of character for him because when mm-hmm. we meet him in awakening he's a rogue mage who keeps running away from the circle and and clearly he's still an apostate but he's an apostate that's trying to help people here mm. even has like people protecting him like we when we're going to look for him there's a woman that like wants to know why we care and then she's like mm-hmm. but he's helping people we don't want people going after him and then we leave that place and there's like a group of people that like are from ferelden and they're like yeah uh oh we heard you asking about anders we're gonna fuck you up and then i i don't know about you but like i could ask carver to like kind of step in and he said something along the lines of like uh, don't attack other Ferelden's while the other Templars or like while the Templars are after all of us right now and then they were like oh sorry we didn't realize uh, praise be to King Alistair and I was like cool <laughs> alright praise be to King Alistair no I had to fight them I, I had to mm. kill them felt pretty bad about that until I didn't mm. but <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but once we get once we get Anders on board uh, he's, he's down to help us out if we help him out with something that that he needs done basically favor for a favor he's got a map to the deep roads but he's trying to help out a friend named carl who is in the gallows which i guess we should touch on the gallows are a former place of punishment that has been turned into uh the essentially the circle tower Mm. uh there is again i last episode i talked about the way that kirkwall is structured with high town at the top low town at the bottom uh there's like a very visual use of 
the separation between the powers that be and the the powers that are not uh and here we have okay the the templar the chantry are up in high town the mages are literally basically in the basement of kirkwall <laughs> they're in repurposed prisons and forums for punishments and they're being held there largely against their will uh as we learn in later episodes what those what that situation looks like for them i think i have a little bit more experience with that just because i have the bethany stuff that will play in whereas mm. you get to stay in apostate forever so <laughs> congratulations <laughs> yay but uh yeah andrew or uh, andrew anders has a <laughs> has a friend named carl i was threw off because i was like carl is such a normal name like <laughs> I keep thinking about that in terms of this game. Like in in Dragon Age Origins, all the names were very fantastical. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Alistair and Morrigan were some of the more normal names compared mm-hmm. to like Logan and all that. Mm-hmm. Whereas here we have Bethany and Carver. Like normal, normal is maybe not the word I should use, but let's let's just say like more attuned to real life and not Lord of the Rings. Uh, I've been enjoying that a lot. So Carl is, <laughs> is in the gallows, and uh, Anders hasn't been hearing from him. So we need to, uh, or no, he. I was thinking of a different mission. Uh, Carl is trying to get out. Anders wants to get Carl out, but uh, there's been some complications. So we need to meet up with Carl, who for some godforsaken reason and should really be the tip-off. Carl's in the Chantry. We're meeting him in the Chantry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, I, when I was playing it, I was like, wait a minute. We're going where to help the mage that wants to run away from the circle? <laughs> It's like, hey, we want to break out of prison. Let's meet up to discuss our plan in the local police precinct. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, we get there, and of course, uh, Carl is waiting. It's a trap. Uh, Carl has been made tranquil. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that this game does well that I appreciate uh, more than in Origins is it kind of acknowledges how horrifying being tranquil can be very Mm -hmm. early on because that was that was the thing with origins was it felt like they were very hand wavy with that stuff when we when we met the tranquil early on and and you had a little bit of a different experience because you got to have that mage origin that really drove home Mm -hmm. what it meant but for for me playing from a different origin it was like so we're just going to kind of breeze over that (laughs) that this person has like lost function of themselves like they have lost themselves and we get to see that illustrated in the conversation between anders and carl here where carl has a moment where he flips back into consciousness and it's after anders uh when we're surrounded by templar and and basically about to be either executed or arrested anders uh erupts in spirit power let's say he goes super saiyan uh gets mm. all blue yep uh that's a thing so now we know that anders is possessed he's got but by whom he's got a spirit what within him whether that be a spirit or a demon uh but once once we have dealt with the templar presence 
uh, the spirit presence awakens Carl from being tranquil and basically asks us to mercy kill him. And I'll, I'll start with this. I did it. I'm assuming you did it. Uh, but how did you feel about this whole scene and the way that was presented? Uh, yeah, so... Like you said, like I do have, I guess, a more personal state, both because my hawk is a mage and also my warden was a mage. Like that is very much like the world in which I live in with the Dragon Age universe. So, like you said, they do a really good job, and I, I guess like it comes from having like a character kind of like come back for a moment and talk about like, like even like describe it like all the color and the music of the world is gone when this, when this happens. And in certain cases in Origins, it was treated like a thing people might opt to do willingly. But here in Kirkwall, it's being used, like, seemingly as a punishment for, like, even the most, like, minuscule crimes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was like, okay, don't, like, he's asking you to kill him, so do it. Like, there's no reason for us to make him suffer that any longer. Um, yeah, I, it's a really effective scene, and I think, I think if you didn't, <laughs> I mean, it is a nice ground zero of watching Anders become the character he ends up being. I think it's important to have that scene early on because, like you said, our, our experiences with the circle up to this point have been fairly tame. And I think mm-hmm. it was for the story that this game is going to eventually tell, that it's kind of building up to, uh, we need to understand that the circle, not all circles are the same, uh, mm-hmm. And the circle in Kirkwall, especially, has been slowly corrupting for some time now, and a lot of that is as much institutional as it is like the effects of just certain people within the the organization. You know, the way again I talked about how the structure of Kirkwall is such that uh, mages can never really truly feel like they have positions of power uh Mm. and i think throughout this entire first act i i was just thinking about the ways in which we engage with certain characters versus others like i i I was i was struck at one moment by how often we have templar quest givers because that felt very strange to me because i remember Mm. the templar you know if you've played through this game, I just remember the Templar being like, oh, I hate mages. Mage is bad. They definitely are that way. But whereas in Origins, it was played up as like this cartoony, almost, you know, oh, oh we kind of disagree with each other and it's mm. wacky. Isn't that weird? And oh, yeah. those darn apostates, those darn Templars. <laughs> like it was had almost like elmer fudd and bugs bunny approach to it you know like yeah. they so we got it we had to go round and back up get their phylacteries and get them back in here here we are really seeing not just what not just what this this system can create and this this sort of oversight can can fester how it can fester in these ways but how exactly this can be used as as a tool for for them to control their power like it's it's so important that we get this context of like tranquility being used as a punishment like the idea Mm -hmm. that you are basically turning someone into a husk of their former selves for being late to class like right it's 
it's very stark and I, I talked a bit about how in Dragon Age Origins there were parts of that game that I felt were just gory or over the top because they wanted to be like this is a dark fantasy mm-hmm. this is this is Game of Thrones this is the one right. your parents don't want you watching but uh here in Dragon Age 2, I felt like it's it's used to illustrate the larger problems in Kirkwall. Mm-hmm. Because that is, like, the story of Dragon Age 2 is the story of Kirkwall's revolution. The story right. of Kirkwall collapsing on itself. And mm-hmm. this is one of the most important things to establish early on, is that this system is broken. And this is how it's broken. This is clear evidence mm-hmm. of why it is broken. And here's a character who is going to end up being... This, this is kind of the origin moment for Anders, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's this stuff has been festering him in, in him for a while. This These thoughts of this system is broken. And now he's starting to think, how do you fix it? Mm-hmm. And we'll soon learn the answers right. to that. But it is important. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. I would uh, say it just like, it, it's, it's a game that's like more, it, like, like Origins is more like a game of exposition and Dragon Age 2 is like the game where, I guess, bioware and people are like okay how what is going to be the arc of this universe like what what is going to change like how are things going to be different by the time that we're done as opposed mm-hmm. to just kind of like here are these conflicts pick a side and the world will bow to your will yes yeah um this game <laughs> this game you have to like live within the conflict and there there are side quests that we'll get to in a later episode that are like some of the main quests that aren't necessarily tied to certain characters but i am very much looking forward to talking about them because there are some really tough choices that Mm -hmm. this game throws at you to illustrate just how kirkwall is broken uh anyways once we uh finally you know mercy kill anders friend and just kind of leave him there um we we go back to uh anders clinic and okay you say dark town here now i'm really confused about where in kirkwall anders clinic is <laughs> i'm looking it up their names are all fucking i know but the so same dark town is like the red light district basically right it's whereas low town is the actual place where people live um yeah Okay, so Anders Clinic. Uh, it is in Darktown. You're right. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. I thought it was in Lowtown. Um, yeah, area of Kirkwall that is derelict and destitute. Uh, ba 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 Den of iniquity where only the most pitiable souls dwell. Man, Dragon Age Wiki, you were having a field day with this one. Uh, <laughs> they say it is only a step up from the Elven alienage. Uh, but it is covered in toxic fog. The alienage is in low town. So it's like low town, dark town, high town. Uh, anyways, mm. dark town is essentially the the red light district area. It is the wall market? If you want to be topical right now, mm. <laughs> I've been playing that game. It's a fun game. We should talk about that sometime if we ever. I mean, this is the part where if we were talking about Dragon Age Origins, we would segue into talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to talk Dragon Age 2, baby. <laughs> um, so, as Anders tells us, he has the spirit of justice within him. Uh, how that happened exactly, uh, it, it sounds like the two just kind of got on as pals. And mm-hmm. at some point, Justice knew that he was going to have to either return 
you know, leave or, you know, inhabit a new body, uh, which creates some complications for him. And Anders basically said, you know, I, you're, you're a friend to me. Uh, we've, we've gone through journeys together. I would be happy to have you exist within me. Uh, and this, this is kind of an interesting part because we haven't really seen this sort of presence very often. You know, we have seen demons fully possess humans to where mm-hmm. they are essentially just that character. Like they are, you know, right. it, it is just the demon in the body, but we haven't really seen a, a spirit, but B, a spirit kind of cohabitating with Anders. And this is where it gets into really interesting questions of who Anders is. Because as, as Anders tells us, his, his resentment towards the actions of the circle eventually turned justice into more of a spirit of vengeance than a spirit of justice, per se. You know, two very closely linked ideas, uh, but, you know, some key differences. Uh, and so he he has trouble sometimes containing that rage and, and it can build up and all that. So I, you can ask Anders a little bit at this point, you know, where does he end and justice mm-hmm. begins? And he, you know, he tells us that's not really the way to look at it. It's these, these are two, two forms that have created something new. Like the way I've been thinking about it just to help my own contextualization is that they did the fusion dance. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you have, you have Goten and Trunks, two separate characters, but Gotenks, Mm -hmm. completely new character, completely Mm -hmm. different character. It is an entity that only exists from the fusion of those two characters. However, it is informed by the personality and characteristics of the two that form them. So, yeah, that's been uh, metaphysics, with, metaphysics with Eric. Uh, we'll see you next week. Tess will be over chapter six. Uh, I think this is a really interesting way to take this character. Because you're mm-hmm. basically, you're taking two characters from Awakening who, I didn't like Anders that much. I thought Justice was a cool concept. You're you're taking them, and you're not just going, hey, who, you know, wouldn't it be wacky if these two had to live inside the same body? Mm-hmm. Like there was, it, you totally could have done that. Where yeah. you could have had some slapstick stuff of him like arguing with himself, and you know, played it off with like, oh, Anders doesn't care about anything, and Justice cares about everything. You know, like right. clean room and messy room and all that. But uh, instead, you get to see the sides of Anders that get amplified by the presence of justice and the aspects of justice that get amplified by the emotions of Anders and the way that those start to intertwine until you can't really tell where one ends and the other begins mm. because it's a whole, it's a new thing. It's, right. it, you know, it turns into the two snakes become like the Ouroboros that just is its own entity now. So I'm gonna let you talk about Anders and also you got some, relationships to talk about so i want to hear about some of that stuff too so we gotta this is where anders as a possible romance option gets really questionable about like the way that they handle this character so i'll kind of just go through how i went through it first and then we can talk about the ways in which it can be other ways depending on whatever um so, you know, he's in the midst of telling us this tragic backstory, and because my hawk is, like, very chaotic and very horny, I'm just like, 
<laughs> gonna flirt with a major chance I get. Like, that explains your, your whole sexy tortured look. And then I make, like, a, a joke, like, well, at least Justice can't complain about the body he got. And, you know, <laughs> very inappropriate for the moment. But, like, that's, those are solid lines. Those are, like, you know, those are good. Um, and then, like, Anders can say things, like, along the lines of, like, I never have, like, talked to a man that has been this open about his attraction to men. And I was like, well, hi, that's that's me. Um, <laughs> and I think there's something to be said for, like, the ways that Dragon Age kind of handles sort of, like, a perceived stigma of same-sex relationships, but I think that is better held off until a very specific episode in Inquisition, which, so we're going to put a pin in that until next season. Um... Then we have this, this is an immediate follow-up conversation, and he talks about, like, how, you know, sorry for, the, that was some heavy shit, you know, we, you know, I just told you I'm possessed, and um, he starts to vent about the circle, and he says that Carl was actually his lover at the circle, or, like, he, he implies that, like, there were multiple, and that, that was just kind of, like, a thing that they did at the circle to uh, pass the time. Um he also implies here that he's pansexual and that he falls in love with people, not bodies, and that's, okay, that's, all right, chill, cool. Um, and then he, then there was like a point where he asks, like, if it bothers him, or bothers me, generally, that he's been with men, and I think the point, it, again, it gets into, like, the weird, like, stigma it's trying to sort of have, I guess, about around the thing, and that's more towards, like, if, say, you're playing a straight hawk, and you might have problems with it or whatever your whatever your fucking issue is. Um, so, this is a weird thing that Dragon Age 2 does with this character, is that half of these conversations don't happen if you are playing a female hawk. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of whether you are pursuing him or not. Like, like, he doesn't mention that Carl was ever his, you know, whatever they were. Um, so, like, it's almost like straight washing a character, and I've never understood exactly why. I don't, especially in a game that is as open about you know the fluidity of sexuality and you know, because like every like I mean I guess we can talk about this now. Every romance option with the exception of Sebastian, who is fake and we don't give a shit about him anyway, is you. Get, they're an option for both male and female hawk, uh-huh. and this has always been like a very weird handling of the situation because I've never understood why. They, it's as if they didn't want, like, a straight hawk to, or a straight, like, say, a straight plain female to feel like, I don't know, like, I mean, like, I, I can try and, like, speculate as to what their thought process was, but it doesn't make sense, and it feels like a very, it's like a very calculated undermining of, like, a non-insignificant part of who Anders was. Like, presumably, he and Carl were still involved in that you know in that scenario where you're playing as a female hawk but it just never but, comes up when you talk to him as as female hawk in a romantic right. way right and mm. it's a i don't know like because like they he brings it up regardless of whether or not you as male hawk are flirting with him too so like it's like i mean if you want to you know head it in one way be like oh this is andrew's trying to like make it clear to a hawk that is male that he is into that but that also feels like hand waving and like excusing away like what just feels like very poor writing, and I don't know. It's like it's something that stuck with me about because like this whole I mean basically this, if you're not actively pursuing this relationship regardless, this whole scene's a fucking mess because mm-hmm. like 
he has the thing like if you're like if you're playing male hawk where he's like does it bother you that i'm attracted to men and like you're, ba- you're basically your options are uh no i'm interested in men too or you get away from me homo and i just it's a it's bizarre that especially now like this many years later that this weird mishandling of this character or at least specifically this issue um was done by the same team that wrote Dorian Pappas. Like, the same people that, like, came up with, like, a very nuanced and, like, in-universe take on a lot of these issues. Just, like, totally, like, fucking flubbed this character's sort of sexuality. Uh-huh. For no apparent reason. It is interesting because, like, what, what you touch on here in, in your notes and stuff like that was definitely, like... I talked about it earlier, but it was an issue I had with Anders when I first played this game was... I was playing a straight male hawk and Anders would kind of continually come onto my character in some way. Mm-hmm. And my issue was twofold. One, one was that like, I was getting tired of, of having that prompt come up because I was like, is this, am I doing something wrong? Am I like not gaming the system properly? It was one of the moments where I could see kind of in games, you want that thin layer of, I'm playing a game and not I'm trying to punch numbers into a system to receive the right. outcome I would like to receive. And so when you suddenly have to start caring that much about whether and like second guessing, whether you've prompted in the right way to receive the outcome you would like, it, mm-hmm. it takes you a little bit out of it. Uh, but also like you mentioned, the outcome responses for that sort of stuff gets extremely polarizing right. in a way that I remember at the time, I, I think I told my friend, I was like, you basically have to either love Anders or hate Anders. Like you can't, it doesn't seem like you can pick in betweens very easily in that game, mm-hmm. because even just picking options that raise his uh, friendship level seemed to warrant more uh, advances from this character. And as you know, in your notes, this is what you've been feeling for games, so I'm not allowed mm. to complain about that. I don't get to. <laughs> uh, you were the one who was, who was standing resolute waiting for your man while Ashley and Liara were throwing it at you. So, yeah. um, but I think it's just like... like it, it is interesting that, that it flubs it in that way. Right. It's just like the inverse of the same problem that they've always had at this point, where like you, mm-hmm. they don't... Or at least at this point, they did not handle like the initiation of any of these things whether it was a friendship or a relationship in a way that was one like clear and also to like allowed you to gently let people down and it just mm-hmm. it, it like for all for as ahead of its time as a lot of the systems in this game are this is like the one moment of like the romance stuff that just feels very bioware old mm-hmm. yeah it, it was definitely where you could see that that peeled back a little bit and I know on this show we often criticize things, so it is important for me to say that I do still think that the romance in this game is absolutely incredible. Like, mm. just, I mean, even just the fact that you boot up Dragon Age 2 and every single, like, I went on the wiki to check the romances, and, and like, like I said last episode too, like, every single character is romanceable by male or female hawk, besides Sebastian. Uh, that's awesome love mm-hmm. that that's great you know like and and you can do it in other games too where you can have characters who are explicitly you know i think inquisition does an interesting job with that where they have characters who are of varying sexualities and mm-hmm. in one case even you have to be a certain race and a certain gender right. to romance a character 
Um, and I think it's interesting to play with that, but even like just as this being a step forward for Bioware going from sort of the limitations we had seen up to this point towards them being like, this almost felt like they went, okay, let's just throw the gates open. We're going Mm. to write everything as if it's completely open. And then we're going to go to Inquisition and we're going to do our finessing there and Mm -hmm. create, create that stuff there. Um, But also it feels very fitting with the tone of this game, you know, like it's characters like Anders, like Isabella, they're they don't give a fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they're not they're not colon they're not uh right. soulless <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> so i i i like it it just it it continues to fit with the overall feel of this game and that it feels so much more open so much more like willing to expand itself narratively where origins felt like it was constraining to fit within a blueprint mm. um I love that you say player sexual. <laughs> um, that is like, that's a great way of just talking about romance and Bioware in general is like characters aren't, you know, se- they're player sexual. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk about Meryl. Um, so turns out that during that whole year that we were smuggling and all right. that, might have forgot to do that thing that Flemeth wanted us to do. <laughs> right. Um, so I guess we can we put a pin in Meryl for a second and like talk about this particular thing. So what what about Flemeth? Not specifically Flemeth, just like I feel like this game does a really fucking bad job oh, of yeah. like making like this this game is ostensibly supposed to take take place across ten years. Right. And it's like it it gets laughably bad in some places where it's like, why are people having conversations now that they should have had a year ago? Like, you know, and we'll get to like some more of the family stuff later. And we're like, Leandra and Gamlin are talking about things that like, you mean you didn't settle this like within a week of us arriving here. And then here, like we didn't think to do the thing that Flemeth asked us to do for a whole year. And then the, the, there are going to be, like, relationship stuff as well that's going to be weird because, you know, we're going to be... I'm, I'm flirting with Anders now, but they're not... The, the, the actual, like, consummation of the relationship the doesn't smash. happen. Doesn't happen for three years. Look, you know, some people just taking it slow, you know, Ken? It's, it's not everybody's got to rush into things, all right? <laughs> clearly there's stuff going on in kirkwall that's there's a lot happening which is why nobody has any time to do anything else but whatever is happening off screen that seems so exciting and fun that they shirk mm. all other uh responsibilities until the player comes back into the picture <laughs> like oh you want to talk about when we said flirty things to each other three years ago <laughs> okay it did get me so in my in my playthrough right now i i might have gone on a bit of a binge uh and i in my current playthrough where i'm at right now i've just reached the second act and i'm, in, I'm doing some of the side quests in the second act right now and there is a time skip between act one and act two and there's like an almost comical moment when a character is like oh by the way remember that thing that happened like 
you know, forever ago. Well, I've got some progress on that. And I'm like, what the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, mm. I get it. I don't know. I get it's it. Like... Things pile up. You know, like the mail piles up and, and your email inbox. You know, once it gets past like 100 unread, are you really going to go through and like cull all the ones that you need to cull? But like, look, you got to get to it someday. You got to set aside a Saturday and say i'm cleaning out the inbox <laughs> i don't know it's it's a and we're, i guess it's gonna be like i think we harp on for the whole season but like i honestly don't think it was necessary for this game to take place over 10 years like i just you know like things of significance happen but that they happen in what is ostensibly that long of a time period it's just it's, it's fucking laughable to me and i just I think there are times when it plays to this game's strength that it that it takes place over time. Um, I think there are moments that work very well for that. But like you said, I think the problem the problem is not necessarily the structure of it. It's that the writing does not always reflect right. it, and they needed right. some better ways to tie some things back in or write around some of the issues. Because I I don't have a problem necessarily that it's like. Again, I don't want to get into spoilers for people who are playing along uh, with each episode because I, I know that there are some folks who are doing that. But um, there are some things that get set up in one act and then resolved in another where it's it, it seems like a little bit more timeliness would have been prudent. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, certain scenes, certain relationship moments, I think actually pan out very well uh, when, when the time skip happens when the time skip happens and I, I there there are some in particular especially in the romance with Meryl and stuff like that where I feel it's it's intent the intention is not necessarily to show certain things happening but to show that time has passed and a relationship has deepened in some ways mm-hmm. uh that I think is done extraordinarily well so uh overall we'll, we'll talk about cases as they come up but this was one sp- specific instance where i was like wait so a why have we not done this yet b why are we deciding to do it now right um because that's the other thing that we don't really get is a reason for why this is done now and ostensibly if we are smugglers in kirkwall our characters are not leaving kirkwall they have been living in gamlin's really crappy (laughs) apartment uh for some time and so I, I don't really get what the holdup is, but we're we're doing it now. <laughs> you know, yeah. we we found our our Saturday, and we're going to go take care of this. <laughs> um, so we got to take this medallion uh, that Flemeth gave us uh, way at the beginning of the game uh, up to a mountain and give it to the keeper of the Dalish there. So we meet we meet the Dalish once we kind of introduce ourselves. They they have a moment where they're like oh this is the one that the the keeper spoke of and you get to talk Mm. to get to talk to the keeper and all that um and and they basically tell you that uh you've got to conduct a ritual now uh and that and that will that will see the promise fulfilled and you know you noted this i like this as well that they have different the keeper has different lines depending on what personality your hawk Mm -hmm. has which is just just nice it's nice um so we have to we have to go up to the top of the mountain and do a dalish ritual and, and we've got to bring the keepers second with us uh and that's meryl uh 
we could have met Meryl in Origins had we done a certain mm-hmm. origin. However, we did not do that. But uh, her accent has changed. But oh my god, Meryl is the best. <laughs> um, she is so awkward right off the bat. She is quirky in a way that I think most games fumble the quirkiness. I think Sarah is actually uh, a good example of this where I like Sarah as a character, but I think a lot of people kind of bounced off of her quirkiness a little Mm -hmm. bit. Whereas like Meryl in a lot of ways, uh, her personality reminds me of Tali uh, a lot. Like I see a lot of similarities. But like cranked up to like 11. Yes. Um, It's it's like a, it's a sort of, trope that it would be very very easy to grate like and just absolutely fuck up but i guess i don't know like there's a rapid fire pacing to her the way that she talks like the way like her the the severity of her mood changes from like anxious to chill to more anxious and then just like completely shutting down that like i kind of love her for and i just like i feel it like when she's like having it like all these things like immediately like saying something realizing that she might not have like known the connotations of what that might have meant to somebody of a different culture and then being like oh i'm sorry for that and then she's like okay i'm just gonna shut the fuck up like it, like aware it's... of her own like the way her brain works enough to know when to shut up that, that is like <laughs> one of the best things about meryl um i think it's also important to note so i remember when we were talking i think it was in mass effect 3 we talked about the difference uh and even in mass effect 2 this as well but how characters were emoting more in conversations that it wasn't like kind of standing characters Mm -hmm. talking at each other and then going into combat poses or going into normal poses right uh this game is maybe not as expressive as mass effect gets there there are moments uh that it has and, and other moments that are less effective but uh in the case of meryl specifically as well as some other characters the just the timing and mm-hmm. the way like both the voice acting itself being incredibly good and then also the way that the timing flows in a way that does not feel as robotic in other mm-hmm. games like i think of like origins would remind me of games like skyrim in some cases right. where it was like right. there are all those great like tiktoks and vines and stuff like that of the dude pretending to be a skyrim npc yeah. where he just kind of walks around and does all the loops and all that uh there were times in Dragon Age that were Dragon Age Origins that were definitely like that. Whereas here, everything feels like it's flowing much more like a Mass Effect two or three. Uh, and I think Meryl is the place where, if that had been an Origins system, mm-hmm. if that had Origins pacing, it would just completely fall apart. It would not right. have landed whatsoever. So, huge right. testament to the sound engineers, the animation engineers who got this stuff working because it sells the personality so mm-hmm. so well. Yeah. Um, so as we learn uh the the clan has been waiting for us for a year which is (laughs) a thing (laughs) uh really great at expediency here yeah um but as we climb up the mountain we start to get an inkling that meryl is maybe not accepted by her her clan and mm-hmm. i don't i don't think we get the shoe drop just yet i think we get that when mm-hmm. we come back down the mountain uh it's but, like at the very top oh okay um but 
as as we climb uh Meryl just we we run into we run into some other elves who treat Meryl poorly and and she's very mm-hmm. much like apologetic for them on behalf of them not necessarily like she defends them and their actions right. and stuff which you know just get kind mm-hmm. of a sense so yeah we reach the top of the mountain fight a lot of creatures along the way huh. and Meryl opens up a barrier to get to this place where we're doing the ritual with some blood magic. Inset <laughs> mm. further complications. <laughs> um, right. And after after we fight some spooky ghosts and all that, we uh, we place the the amulet down, and well, bam. Well, um, before we talk about, before we talk about that. We should probably talk a little bit about, like, I guess the conversation we have with Meryl when she does slit her wrist and, like, fucking do the thing. Oh, did you um, have did you have a long conversation there? I didn't. Uh, I mean, my, my it's, not necessarily, it's not necessarily it's like a long conversation with her there. It's just more about, like, I guess how we approach... Because uh, the thing about Meryl is that it's, she's, like, like Anders, she is a character where we kind of have to, like put out our feelings on a certain subject into the world through talking to them because mm-hmm. like immediately she's a very she's very defensive like oh i i know what i'm doing you don't need to get mad and like it's very clear that she's had to have this conversation before and she you know gives the abridged version to these strangers here um so i know that like my, my warden was a blood mage and that was like a thing that i did in origins and like had all my various like headcanon shit around it mm-hmm. but because this game is going to go in the directions it does, I've kind of always elected to not do that with my hawk. But I also, like, I'm at the point where, you know, my hawk doesn't really have any reason to be, like, invested in the fact that this person that he's just met is a blood mage. So I just kind of, like, joked and walked along and didn't really... Because, like, you have the option to be, like, blood magic is wrong. And, or, you know, say, like, oh, I trust you. But, or you can, you know, be the, the smart hawk and just be like whatever man i'm just here to do this medallion ritual it's fine um but i think it's, it's, it's also just a very interesting to like have this character who is this very like you know almost deceptive in like the like way that you she comes off very like innocent and funny and then like you know oh she's doing the thing the thing that everyone in this By universe way, is like don't do that magic <laughs> right yeah it's um it is interesting I, I, Meryl's story is complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it and we have not even necessarily started to see the beginnings of it. And in fact, um, there were parts of it where I, I actually was just refreshing myself on my phone because um, I was trying to remember how much of the things we we know about now and then we learn about later in terms of what Meryl has been doing and why she is as as we later learn being kicked out of her clan right. um i don't think we learn any of those specifics but i will say that when i was when i was in act two i went to her uh her home in the alienage to you know i was doing my my rounds with all my companions and i saw something in there that was like oh oh right Mm -hmm. oh 
can I talk about that? Nope, not yet. Okay, we're, we're going to need to talk about that because uh, that just popped up, and that you you shouldn't have that here. Can I? Mm. Yeah, it was it was a very strange. I might talk to you about it after the podcast yeah. is done. But uh, I was like, did, did I miss something? Uh, right. Anyways, so once we've done our our sketchy blood magic, which and again we should also state that we haven't seen the Dalish themselves use blood magic up to this point. Um, right. I think the only time we've really seen them use blood magic is I think in the woods in Dragon Age Origins if you like turn on the keeper there he uses blood magic but mm-hmm. I think again the classic Dragon Age story of mage gets their back put against the wall <laughs> for claims of blood magic so they either are a blood mage or they realize their only way out is to start using blood magic right um tale as old as time um so meryl uh places the medallion on one of the the stones after we fight some spooky ghosts and says some words and bam flemeth is Mm -hmm. here is back it's a horcrux (laughs) yeah i will say like you know when i first played this game that was like the jaw drop moment for me because like i was wondering like if limith is going to be the thing that everyone like wonders about like because you know, we talked about with the uh, the witch hunt episode like everyone or morgan was like flemeth is the fucking thing that you need to be worried about i was like oh she's dead whatever and so like i was always wondering how it was that she was going to come back and i was like oh we we fucking did that that was our fault that, that was the thing that we did i think it's i think it's a really neat thing that the player you know, if we think of the player as a character in Dragon mm. Age, like the idea of us as the omnipresent player, which is right. a very pathologic thing to do, <laughs> um, <laughs> we can kill Flemeth in one game and then be responsible for bringing like, her back. Undermining ourselves. Yeah, but I like, like that. It, I think it's, that's it's the, it's the, what, what the fuck does that guy mean? Like when he shoots the person and says, why would somebody do this? And it's like, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like eff- efforts to stop Flemeth, bang. Why would... <laughs> Why would I do this? <laughs> Why would Bioware do this? Mm. Um, yeah, it's... This is an interesting point, I think, too, because... It doesn't... It doesn't have any more implications in the story, really. You know, right. it's... that Because she's, she's gone and she doesn't come back. Yeah, that's really kind of it for, for fun up here. And I... It's a way for them to tie the thing up neatly and and have that string taken care of, so that way, when things transpire uh, later in the series, they don't have to worry about that thread hanging out there. Right. Uh, and and you you can have a dialogue here where you can ask, you know, what if, uh, you know, do you know if Morgan killed you? And she's like preparing for the inevitable. And if I know Morgan, that has already happened. So it's kind of implied that the general canon is no matter what action your warden takes, Flemeth is killed in some way. Uh, Whether that is by the warden's hand or whether Morgan, say, conscripts somebody else or Mm -hmm. even tries to attempt the deed herself. Um, But it is also like there's a just just like in that dialogue, it's kind of implied that she doesn't know like that this Flemeth... It's almost like a timestamp of like the when we met her, mm-hmm. uh, fleeing Lothering. Yeah, 
it's cool that you can get some information here but also information that is from a character who is not as intimately aware of what has happened mm. as if you were actually the warden or something like mm-hmm. that i think that's an interesting angle to take on it um it's, it's almost like she's speaking to the player more than hawk if that makes oh sense. yeah oh yeah i mean you can you can say the line like i'm not sure if she's your daughter or your enemy and she, she goes neither is she um and she warns us of big things to come and all that. Um, Meryl is very, let's say, I, respective of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of regards her as a higher being, let's say. I mean, yeah. they do have... I didn't write it down, but the name that the Dalish have for... Oh, I, I, I couldn't pronounce it if you asked me to. It's, it's, the, it's basically, we learned it in Origins as well, the... Uh, Asha Belinar, that's what it is. Just yeah, came yeah. back to me. Um, but it's one of the many names we learn of for the Witch of the Wilds and, and Flemeth. Uh, and that's that's kind of it. Flemeth takes off then. Warns us that something big is coming. Lends us some sympathy because it's going to take a toll on us, I suppose. And takes off. And then we mm-hmm. head back down the mountain. And that's when the Keeper is like, hey, guess what? Meryl's going with you. Your yeah. Meryl's your thing now. Uh, which is maybe one of it felt a little unceremonious, I guess. Um, yeah. I don't think you can turn. Can you turn her down here? I've never tried no. to. No, okay. I don't think you can. Because I, I think, think there are way, some characters you cannot recruit in this game. I think it's yeah. And I think either way, like the implication is that she is going to Kirkwall regardless, and she's kind of like. You know whether you view her as a friend or a you know a yes. party member or not, yeah. like she's going to be there, and she will be a person that you can call upon if you decide to do that. But it's one of those things where like it's like you get as much mileage out of that as you want or don't want. So, uh-huh. so we we take Meryl into the city to the alienage, and we get to hear some comments from her about how different it is. Everything's very noisy. It's very cramped. It's very. Um, I like that she points out how lonely it can feel being in the crowd. Uh, mm. I like that line a lot. I think people yeah. can can relate to that one a lot. God knows how I can. So, um, and, <laughs> and we can we can delve a bit more here into some of her story, which just kind of gives us an idea of how she's adapting. Um, you know, she's she's living in the alienage, which, as we know from Origins, and obviously. It's not going to be much better in Kirkwall. Uh, the conditions in the alienage are never very good. She she talks about a mugging that happens outside her home <laughs> at one point, and she was like, it was exciting. And I was like, Meryl. <laughs> so, you should have uh, helped out. I, I wrote down a line that happened ambiently as I was walking around. Uh, I think it was in Hightown, but it was between Varric and Meryl, so I'm grabbing my notebook here so I can recite it. Um, but it's Varric and Meryl are talking, and Varric ends up having a nickname for Meryl uh, that he uses for her throughout the game. Uh, mm. He calls her Daisy, which I think mm-hmm. is, is kind of adorable. It's like yeah, he's got he's got name for everybody. I think. Do they all call her Daisy? I've only heard Varric no, call no, her no, Daisy. No, no, no. Varric has names for. Everybody. Oh, has names for everyone. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard him nicknameify anybody else. That's weird. But maybe I haven't heard it pop as much. I'm gonna. I'll look into that. Anyways, so he says 
he he asks he says daisy please stop cutting through low town in the middle of the night <laughs> like mm-hmm. um and Meryl replies, like, but nothing happens. And Varric says, yes, and that nothing is costing me a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I love that exchange so much that I even, like, looked it up and, and wrote it down again to make sure I got it right. Because I her character is so infectiously, like, she is completely relatable in her anxiety, but she's also so idealistic at this point. She's so naive in a way. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's, I, I've, I've had a lot of thoughts about this. I've gone back and forth over and I'm probably going to go back and forth over as we go through this, because obviously uh, when I first played this game, I romanced Meryl and the male, female, the, you know, straight um, romance option with Meryl felt at sometimes mm-hmm. good. And it's sometimes a little creepy because mm-hmm. there's an element of like, she's very naive and, mm-hmm. I always felt like it was weird, like walking the line between whether it was this this person that my hawk was romancing, or whether there was some sort of like power dynamic that was unhealthy in play. Right. Not even like right. necessarily problematic, but just unhealthy. Um, right. With yeah, and I think well, you, I, was yeah, just, you I was just gonna say with female hawk, who I'm, I'm playing female hawk this time around, uh, but still largely skewing towards the same romances, uh, mm. which are in the original game, I flirted with the idea of isabella before just committing to the Merrill romance here i might flirt a little bit more than i did the first time around just because that's mm-hmm. suiting my 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 big cassandra energy female hawk a lot more <laughs> um but i i found that the dynamic just feels a little different um mm-hmm. and and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's different because of the dynamics maybe that's different because of the way the voice actors are playing the lines um mm-hmm. i don't really know yet i'm not far enough in and that romance takes a while to develop so right uh this yeah. is a long thing and i think like even though every uh every romance option other than sebastian is you know available for both hawks i do think generally depending on like, which gendered hawk you are as well as whether you're in friendship or rivalry they can read very different and i mm-hmm. think you know and that, that's ultimately on the person playing to like you know determine how they figure out that because like, i'm not a huge fan of like the rivalry fenris romance with a female hawk because there are physical altercations that happen in that particular romance mm. that I don't think read great in that particular dynamic, but I think they read better with like male hawk and Fenris, which is you know, you know that. Then we can get to that when we get to that. But it's just I think as like you know as like you know it's been like ten years almost since this game came out, so like it, it makes sense that like what read one way back then to you would read differently now mm-hmm. it's it's interesting and I, I i actually really enjoy that this is a game that is forcing me to to think about these things because right even just romances in general in bioware they they're linear i'd say they you progress along them you don't really have this idea that that dragon age 2 toyed with i mean i think we talked about this earlier but maybe the only other version of this is kotor and the idea of like light side dark side but um the idea of having not just a romance that progresses along but one that is affected by both the tone of your character and how they are responding to things uh Mm -hmm. outside you know outside the romance the clear romance options but also 
how your relationship with that character also affects it whether it Mm -hmm. is in a friendship state or in a rivalry state i think that's so so interesting and and granted like we are going to critique this this is a podcast where we do critique things and if we you know come to things that we don't think work they you know we're going to call that out when we get to things that work we do call that out as well but i'm so happy to have a game that that does tackle it at least right. like if you're gonna run into walls run into them full speed you know leave right. a cartoon shaped outline of yourself as you bust through the wall like mm-hmm. uh and i feel like at, at the very minimum dragon age 2 does that with with the way it does its writing with the way it it, it handles its characters it does not half ass uh, whether it lands or not is is always going to be up in the air but it does not hold back uh, it does not like play things mm-hmm. safe, let's say. Right. Um, so my 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 female hawk is skewing towards the friendship side with Meryl. Meryl mm-hmm. is also a character, I think, even more than Anders, whose story varies wildly depending on whether right. you go the friendship or rivalry route right. with her. It, especially in ways like ways that I'd never really realized until like like got to them myself, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm not sure where I'm going to lean with her yet, and I. I feel like I probably went about 50-50 in all the times that I played this game. And I don't know, I don't remember which one I ended up porting forward to Inquisition, but we're, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> it's inter- It's just so, man, we have a game that does this, man. We, we're talking yeah. about a game that does this. So real quick, before we move on uh, to closing out this episode, we do have one quest we want to touch on real quick. And it links back to some stuff that we have not fully talked about yet, so that helps kill two birds with one stone. Uh, and that's the the Hawk family dynamic, and we're going to do that through doing Bethany's companion quest, Birthright. So if you haven't played that yet... What? It's all covers. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, for me, it was Bethany. For, mm. Our siblings' companion quest. <laughs> Bethany's better. Um, You're not wrong. <laughs> um... Our siblings companion quest birthright uh so if if you are playing along and you have done the recruitment missions but have not yet done birthright go ahead go play that come back we'll see you then uh you know otherwise stay tuned in and now we'll talk about birthright so we talked earlier about how the passage of time is so strange in dragon age 2 and when we jump back into the family stuff here we're immediately launched into discussions of what grandpa Amel's will was and where Bethany stands in it. Um, Or where specifically uh, Leandra, our mother stands in it as opposed to Gamlin. Uh, So we talked about this last week, but Gamlin basically claims that Leandra was written out of the will after she ran off with, father hawk who mm-hmm. was in op- in apostate uh we learned that uh leandra was supposed to marry a well-off person uh and build up the amel family in that way and instead uh they they ran off with hawk and gamlin was left to uh keep things going mm-hmm first off it's really weird that they're arguing about the status of a will a year later i wish they Mm -hmm. had framed this as maybe like oh you're bringing this up again i've been hearing nothing about this 
like i've been hearing nothing but this for a year like have some sort of writing in there so it doesn't feel like it just came up now if it the scene feels like we just walked into gamlin's house after we got here like it's so weird yeah and and granted they do mention like leandra i believe mentioned something about like she's sick and tired of living in gamlin's house Mm -hmm. which is in a really it's a rundown place it's bad and we eventually get it out of him that the estate was uh was given to pay off a debt and is now uh filled with a slaver operation (laughs) um yeah so i mean basically we we can talk to we can talk to gamlin and leandra to learn a little bit about our origin story uh we can learn that we always had a propensity for for magic uh but it wasn't necessarily manifesting itself until leandra married an apostate and obviously like Mm. the magic became a lot more powerful uh there was always kind of a stigma on the amels for having magic in their blood which Mm. i think again kind of it it was also a thing in ferelden you know we had the whole uh i always want to call it uh red wall (laughs) like the um (laughs) like the the books about the mice uh what's the name of the place uh yeah it's the the castle with the kid and all that read something (laughs) y'all know what we're talking about and i'm not looking it up right now (laughs) send your messages to at cmoosie on twitter (laughs) um (laughs) we uh we we've seen that magic already has a stigma with the nobility but in Kirkwall, you get the sense that again it's it's a little bit more because as as our own family has noted you need to get to the point where you basically have you know fuck you money to not have your your siblings towed off as apostates so the more the more we learn the more we realize we need to get some eyes on this will and our sibling decides that the best way to do that would be to sneak in and uh get that uh information out of the safe and maybe also take care of some slavers while we're there um also real quick i do want to note and i love that you have this here because it was the first thing i noticed there's there's just a room in your like wherever your home is in whatever part of the game you're in there's just a room that is like the dlc room where yeah. you have all these different things that are either chests with items in them or basically just i i guess you talk to a statue and it yeah. starts the dlc um because well, it's i mean you you activate the statue and then it goes to like a different uh interrogation between cassandra and Varric, and then cassandra's like tell me about this thing specifically and oh okay i guess that's a narrative device but i i saw that and i thought to myself how do they like how did they tell players that this is how you're supposed to do the thing you know like how did they make it clear that because in you know in mass Effect two and three you had the emails that you can do Mm. and and that's like a good way of being like hey there's there's something here to do check your email but 
rather than these being letters, as far as I can tell, maybe you get a letter once you've bought the DLC the first time around and it like shows up. Because I haven't seen a letter yet that talks about Legacy. I don't know if I could probably do Legacy if I wanted to at this point, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to to know how that went about. Um, but we head down. Uh, we head down to Lowtown. No, it's Darktown because it's outside Anders Clinic. See, now I'm remembering yeah. things. Uh, <laughs> and we uh, we sneak into the the basement of our former estate, which is in Hightown. And yeah, we just murder a bunch of slavers. We just, yeah. we just kill a lot of people. <laughs> That's not much to write home about, but... Yeah, uh, but we do get the will and we learn that uh, Leandra was left in the will. He was not. She was not written off, uh, despite her running off with Malcolm Hawk. Uh, Grandpa Amel still cared about Leandra, and uh, technically, the the state should have fallen to her and not fallen to mm-hmm. Gamlin. But Gamlin resented Leandra. So once uh, once all that cleared up, uh, Gamlin just kind of took everything and then screwed it all up. Um. Yeah which is at, we we kind of use it as a screw you to him because when we come back gamlin is like trying to get leandra to contribute rent money and stuff like mm-hmm. that and it's just being a real scumbag and so we we basically tell him like screw you we're getting ownership back of our estate we're we're getting back what we're rightfully owed and he's like oh you have you need money you know so this is kind of the point where they say like okay yes you can do that but you're going to need to like you know do the deep roads expedition first right. good thing uh, we gotta get rich scheme like going on right now yeah uh but we do we also picked up another thing while we were there i'm, I'm interested if it's, if it's different for you for me it was a portrait of leandra when she was younger um was it was it a different item for you for your sibling that you pick up oh, in the for the uh the uh just shit. for the follow-up for the follow-up quest the uh the gift quest let me yes. actually i now i'm thinking about i don't think i i did that and i need to double check if Anything. you didn't yeah if you didn't that's that's cool but uh yeah i also had that portrait and so i had that little chat with bethany where i can uh show it to her and she'll be like oh you know look so look at mom she was so young and all that and you can kind of talk about how things have been going and especially talk about carver and and how much mm-hmm. it's weird not having him there and all that it looks like the same happened for you with with yeah. bethany it's a little more hostile though just because the nature of carver as a human being because it does get into like he, he has a moment where he's like oh i relate to gamlin because i am the one that's in the shadow of my older sibling and i'm like first of all fuck you i just came over to say hi and so then they, they even get to the fight so much about how like he doesn't feel like leander even cares about what he feels about this like or anything he just doesn't feel like he is part of this narrative that this family has going on right now and then he kind of like starts to make fun of like me and Leandra for like trying to make things better for ourselves and then he's like uh, Bethany would be ashamed of us we'd all be uh wishing that we were back to where like how you we used to be or, or how great we used to be or something uh-huh. and so I said something like I don't need you to dig up Bethany so you can hide behind her too and wow. the whole thing like I mean the whole thing is like this it's very hostile and like you start to walk away and he just kind of says, 
I'm sorry for this, but I just don't feel like I am part of this story. And I need to mm. make my own. Which obviously foreshadows yeah. things that happen later. But yeah, it seems like by nature, the way that Carver's story develops, it needs to have him be hostile at all times to Hawk. Whereas with Bethany, it's much more, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. We're going to get through all this. Um, you know, I think at one point, Bethany even brings up the idea of going back to Lothering now that the blight is over. Mm-hmm. And we're just kind of like, no, you know, we're here now. This is this is our home now. If we right. went back to Lothering, it wouldn't be the same. And we both know that. We're, we live in Kirkwall now. Um, it ended on a much nicer note, which, yeah, it's, it's funny because for you, you mentioned in your notes that Bethany's not much of a character for you because you've never played this game with Bethany as a party member. Mm-hmm. I'm the exact opposite. I've never played this game with Carver as a party member. Mm. Uh, it's interesting to hear those differences. I think it just speaks to how cool this game is that like there's yeah. that much radically different companion yeah. dynamics depending on one tiny like one one choice of class. In right. This. It's like the Dragon Age equivalent of like Kate and Ashley, like that you have this character who your right. relationship is going to be like diametrically different and rather. But rather than like seeing that play out over like the course of two games, we're seeing it play out in a single game. Like Vermeer happens at the start. You know, imagine if that was Caden and Ashley that you were directing on Eden Prime, but instead of having what's his face Jenkins just <laughs> die, uh, it was either Caden or Ashley. Uh, yeah. It's it's interesting. I this game just continues continues to give. I I've not I've not had. I've had a few low moments, but those mostly we'll talk about those in a couple episodes because that those mostly revolve around the side quests. And once mm. we start getting into going through dungeons in this game, then we get mm. to get into the parts of Dragon Age 2 I don't like. So <laughs> we will get there, folks at home. Don't worry. But for right now, I'm enjoying the ride. As always, we are Normandy FM. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Normandy FM, where you can help support us and keep the lights on around here you also help fund when uh say i realize that uh buying dragon age 2 in 2020 is a whole nightmare <laughs> and i have to buy it on origin again uh so that that helps out so as always we like to thank all of our patrons especially those who donate at a certain tier to have their name shout out every week on the podcast we have kevin kulikowski Ginny Wu, chris johns anthony matthias and colin just Colin. Uh, thank you all so much for contributing, and thank you to all of our Patreons and all of our listeners. If you're just a listener, if you like hanging out, you can always follow us at twittercom show where we post all of our updates. We also share all the work that Ken and I do in the games industry, and we signal boost all our wonderful friends as well, of which we have several that are coming on this show over the coming season. We're not announcing them quite yet. Don't worry. Uh, we. We've learned our lesson in the past of announcing a guest <laughs> and then having to scramble last minute. So uh, the the go ahead for this season is to kind of just say up front, like, hey, this is what next week's episode and guest is going to be. And then the rest of it, we in the background, don't worry, have our own plan, but it can vary. So we just don't want you to see how the sausage is made. <laughs> um next week we will be doing the recruitment of Fenris and Isabella we'll have our party mostly assembled there is still the case of getting 
Sebastian on the team, but he won't come up until later. But we will be recruiting the final two members of the Hawk squad and uh, getting ready for our Deep Road expedition. And I'm excited. These these next two recruitment missions, pretty interesting, especially mm-hmm. one of them. I mean, we're going to meet Sad Elf Boy. And, uh, Hell yeah! Sad, sad elf boy and a horny pirate gal are are next up on our lists and uh what a powerful episode powerful episode the energy radiating from it will be something so make sure you tune in we'll see you next time on normandy FM. We have watched and waited 